Today on the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, we're going to be covering episode four of season two of What If? What if Tony Stark crashed into the Grand Master? All that right after this. Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic Universe Podcast. My name is Matthew Carroll, and with me today is Jay Scotty St. Clair. What is happening, Jay Scotty? Hey, hey, thanks for having me back. Yeah, man, it's good to have you. Good to have you here. Yeah. We got to speak last night about this third episode of What If, uh, and we were, were talking about how we had both watched ahead a little bit, and, right. and these next three episodes are so good. Like, they're just, mm. four, five, and six are really, really good, and I really love this episode. Um, and I've got to. I've got to, for bragging rights purposes, bring up two weeks ago on our Avengers podcast, on our <laughs> rewatch, Infinity Saga rewatch episode, I brought up on the podcast with Ashley, I was like, you know, when, when, when I was watching the show and, you know, with What If coming up, I was watching the movie and like when he barely makes it back from blowing up, the, from nuking Thanos' army, the Chitauri army, I was like, man, how, what a great what if episode it would be if he like barely missed and he, instead of barely making it, he barely missed and then had to make his way back to earth through space and encountered other like cosmic entities and such. And then they, they started this episode with that opening and I was like, oh man, I called it. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes, sir. You absolutely did. Like, yeah, that's, that's incredible. And, uh, I don't I, I don't know what to say, man. You just have a, a mind for this kind of oh. thing, a mind for strategy. I've done escape rooms with you, the fantasy <laughs> draft shows that you you know have such as astounding lead three years in a row. You just you just got a brain for these things, man. You're- oh well, that's very kind. That's very kind. I, I did not I did not was not fishing for that. I just thought that was super cool. Like oh, d- oh yeah. we we were talking about it before a little bit, and it's like I pride myself on trying to see where a story is going. Sure. And that's just always satisfying when you can kind of see the art coming. Um, it's also very satisfying when they surprise you well, and it's better than you think. But it, but it is satisfying to know that you kind of like can see the matrix or whatever. Sure. But one like that was like not intentional. Like that was so yeah. random. I just happened to watch Avengers this week, and it popped into my yeah. brain. So I just was like privileged to get to podcast about it just in time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Pulling something like that from so far out of left field is pretty, pretty incredible. So I'm happy for you. Thank you. Thank you. It feels (laughs) good. It feels good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I guess before we get into the episode real quick, though, I will say um, on the last episode, you and I kind of commiserated at the top about some of the sacrifices we as podcasters make and, you know, not to, not to make myself, you know, a martyr here or anything like that, but (laughs) just to let the listeners know some of the sacrifices we do make. I am not as far ahead as you anymore. Like I came home, I sent you the message about if we were going to be podcasting tonight and I had to make the decision. Am I going to rewatch episode four or am I going to watch episode six? And like, (laughs) as we were scheduling things out, I should have pushed it a little further on so that I could have squeezed that episode in. But it was one of the hardest things to do to see that artwork for episode six and go, Nope, I'm going to go rewatch episode four, but episode four is an absolute blast. So that being said, it was a treat to revisit. I don't want to raise your expectations because that's always a dangerous game, but Mm. I, I loved episode six. I think it's my favorite. Ooh. And I think it's specifically, I think you will like it a lot. It's okay. just imaginative and interesting and like going to a totally different place than Ooh, they've done in the past. Yeah. I just really, really, really like episode six. Yeah, um, that's enticing. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to like it. You're going to like it. 
Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it in a couple episodes. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. But for now, let's talk about Tony Stark encountering the Grand Master. Yeah. One thing that I, I mentioned on our episode three coverage was that like, I, I don't like when there's this sort of like disconnect between like, you're giving me a Blade Runner story, but then it gets into that what if Marvel Marvel jokey adventure tone that doesn't feel right for a Blade Runner story. And then when sure. you're telling me a diehard story, when it does the same thing, I'm like, okay, this one was a perfect fit for the what if tone. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it did not bother me that it, it had that what if comic feeling Taika Waititi-esque uh, comedy adventure tone because that is what this episode was and it was so much fun yeah yeah, yeah and agreed and kind of coming off the heels about what you said about having recently watched the avengers and kind of making that call uh, i love the fact that it made so much sense within the fabric of the marvel cinematic universe like we know sakar is kind of the dumping ground so like mm. having that sequence where tony doesn't go all the way through and it's very visually ev- evocative of like the guardians that like guardians volume two specifically when rocket and yondu are kind of like hopping around you know all willy-nilly i i love that so yeah just having tony be a complete fish out of water it was like a marvel story through and through and it really felt like you know um Iron Man 2 meets uh, Thor Ragnarok. And mm. as I rewatched this episode, I kept making those same comparisons, but I also found myself like kind of like being reminded for the first time, I was a little surprised how much Ragnarok kind of like pays homage to like Mad Max and that like yes. beyond the Thunderdome kind of feel. And like thinking about Chris Hemsworth going to appear in Mad Max Furiosa, like down the road, mm. like it just makes a lot of sense. Pardon the pun with down the road. That was not intended at all. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's really funny. I had Mad Max in my notes as well. Uh, oh, cool. Uh, my, my notes said that, that the, the race sequence, which never really had just a, except for the Formula One scene, which is, is, is more of a race sequence that gets cut, cut in half. Again, sure. please forgive the pun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, like, this is just a race sequence, and it was so evocative of Mad Max, but also the pod racer scene. Sure. Like, just really well done racing animation. And just mm-hmm. the choices of where to put the camera and the imaginative yeah. nature of all the different characters you're getting to see. Some of them felt straight out of Mad Max, too. Like the, sure. some yeah. of those, uh, we, we, we didn't get to see a lot of these kinds of characters in, um, because they weren't racing, in um, the Ragnarok. But a lot of the characters they show in those racer pods look so much like Mad Max characters. It was For really, sure. really fun. But then it also has Iron Man in the middle of it quipping in his best, like, peak Iron Man status, just so good, and Gamora (laughs) running around, and all with like a Taika Waititi vibe, because the Grandmaster and the setting, and Korg, Um, it just, man, what a weird and cool what if. Like, this is absolutely what this show is for, I feel like. Really, really yeah, cool. Yeah. So this episode also like holds the unique distinction of being the first one that's kind of a continuation from what we saw in season one. Like we knew when season one was in production, we had this story about Gamora who went on to be a member of the Guardians of the Multiverse, and that's exactly how the episode opens. And it's kind of the first time we've really had um Owatu kind of like hang a lantern on what we've been talking about where Mm -hmm. the initial episode asks one question, but throughout the course of the episode, we're really presented with another one. And that is like, what if Gamora killed Thanos or or, Mm -hmm. so we're led to believe what if she met Tony and he convinced her, which man, I loved so much when he said to her, 
Do you know what it's like to have your whole world destroyed? To watch as a madman comes for your 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 you know your family and all this stuff. Like right. you saw it in her eyes, which again, wonderful animation. Uh, yeah. You saw it in her eyes. The one thing I kind of wish I wish they had hit back on that point later on when they're in the in the racing. She he does hit on. He, he's still talking to her about changing sides, but it's all about her giving up on being her father's daughter, which like, I know that's a big part of her and trying to like get out from under Thanos's boot. But like, mm-hmm. I, I kind of wish that he'd been able to say like, I, I don't know, like he had learned something about her world and then been able to like reiterate that because that was the thing that okay. I thought was going to get to her. But instead it just was like, Hey, don't be your father. Don't, don't listen to your father. Don't be this person. And I think it was all there. It's all there. Like there's nothing, there's not nothing wrong, but I guess like sure. that was the stronger point to me. So I wish that had been the thing that made her switch sides. I guess, because um, he yeah. did. The Mad Titan killed her whole family, and now he came after Tony's family. And I, I think it's the stronger tie between those two. But the father thing is obviously a big part of Tony's story. So I get why they why they leaned he- more heavily on that. Yeah, it's really tough, and I kind of agree with you. Like, it's it's not flimsy by any means, but it doesn't hold the weight that I kind of wish it did. And you know, giving a lot of praise to the animation, but I feel like they had to rely on the animation and like the music to sell some of those moments a little bit more. So, like, I think about that moment where um, Tony's got like the the button in his hand where he can disable Gamora right there, and he kind of has that moment where he goes, "No, this is a chance for me to like show her that like I can turn the other cheek and be the bigger guy, yeah, or bigger." person and um like that whole moment is really sold like you said through the the facial expressions but i really noticed the music and like Mm. in in that moment and that sold it more so than what i believed about the characters having interacted you know at at that point in time yeah yeah yeah, i i I agree well and the other part i i think about it is tough because i also think about like valkyrie Mm-hmm. And another part of the episodes, I'm nitpicking here, but one of the, the parts of the episode that didn't really work for me as much is when they announced her as, you know, the ruler of Sakaar. And yeah, that's that's paying homage to what she did for New Asgard exactly, and, and the yeah. Avengers, but it didn't really feel earned in this moment. It would feel like it was like, oh, you know, that'll be something that kind of feels kind of fan servicey. But had maybe we not spent that time with Valkyrie and were able to spend that time with Gamora, maybe that would have made everything a little bit more satisfying. But again, this is this is mm-hmm. nitpicking like it, it was a really solid episode. Uh, or, or the reverse, if it was a, a story about Valkyrie instead of a story sure. about a Gamora, you know, like yeah, sure. It, it, it I agree. Valkyrie feels like a tacked on part of the story. Um, she's mm-hmm. there because she's supposed to be on Sakar, and they wanted to pay homage at the end and let her be the president or whatever. Right. Um, <laughs> but like, they didn't give her the chance. She does like, I guess, headcanon slash defense of this. Sure. They do show how dumb the population is. Uh, they, they they show the explosions and death, and then they have this pause moment where, like, you think the people are going to react with horror, and they go, right. yeah! Like, it's a big cheer. It, like, sort of reveals the sort of, uh, the base nature of the populace of Sakaar. And then, sure. again, uh, you've got Korg, who's one of the few characters we know who resides here, and he even says, like, Oh yes, the Grandmaster's a horrible man. I really shouldn't have voted for him. Right. Um, so like the fact that she just pulled off that last maneuver in the race is why they're cheering for her. And it's kind of yeah. like it's not actually they hadn't actually re- elected her president or anything, but like they're just cheering because she 
you know, did her thing. And then Tony's like, hey, W president. Because they, <laughs> they, they might have voted for Tony because he's the one that actually brought down the Grandmaster. I, were, I guess. Were they, they not chanting Valkyrie in the crowd? They were. They were chanting okay, Valkyrie. Okay. Uh, yeah. But just because I think just because she did that last maneuver that killed the Grandmaster. Um, but it was Tony. Didn't kill that, him, like, though. Melted him. Melted him. <laughs> he seems to melt. I'm melting, melting. He's like, ooh, this feels, this feels good. Dude, <laughs> like, again, this is such a fun episode to exist in the world. The fact that we get an episode where <laughs> Jeff Goldblum, it is Jeff Goldblum, correct? Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I figured. It sounds exactly like him. I assumed. And the performance is amazing and perfect. Uh, yeah. But I didn't actually look it up. Um, and I just didn't want to say like Jeff Goldblum, and then you'd be like, "Eh, it's not exactly. It's this other guy <laughs> pretending to be Jeff Goldblum." But no, when he's melting and saying, "I'm melting, melting," like what in the world? Where, what world are we living in that we got an episode where he gets to play a character like referencing the Wicked Witch of the West as, as he like melts? Like I don't know. That's so funny. Oh, he actually yeah. melts. It's so good. I, I just thought he's perfect for that role, and that's such a weird role. Him like going. Ooh, viscous. Uh, it's just like, it's just so weird and funny. So I need a mop. Sponge me. I need to be absorbed by something. <laughs> I need to be absorbed by something. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the, the Wizard of Oz reference. Tony made one earlier in the episode, didn't he? I can't place exactly where it was, but I think he might have called the Grandmaster like the Wizard of Oz or something like that. But Tony had tons of references. Coat of many colors. Yeah, the Technicolor coat. And the, oh, it was uh, the Grandmaster wanted to call him Tin Man. He was like, Mojo Man? No. Tin Man? No. Oh. Something else? Okay, Mojo Man it is. That's funny because it kind of alludes to that the Grandmaster might be a fan of that movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like two references. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, huh. It's so good. The funniest part of this whole episode, though, the, car, the, the part that like hit me hard both times. What's mm-hmm. the executioner's name? Do we have her name? I know he says it in the episode a few times. The one oh, with the melty Topaz. stick. Topaz. Rachel House Topaz, yeah. Topaz. Uh, <laughs> when, when they're all jumping out of the mouth of the uh, celestial and like all falling and everyone's freaking out because they're falling and didn't know they were going to be falling down this huge... Uh, you know, fall and it cuts to her. Yeah. Everyone's going, ah, 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 and it cuts to her, and she's going, e- <laughs> <That's> a- <laughs> it, it lingers on her face with complete calm. Most of the sound effects disappear, the music dies, and she just goes, e- for like 10 seconds. It c- kills me both times I watch this episode. I, I love it, love it. Yeah, yeah that's a good call out. <laughs> I actually, that moment stood out to me for a different reason when they have that, that moment where Tony has that reaction where it looks like he's just going to be like free falling out into space. Um, and then you see the drop. My thought was, I wish Disney would make a, a roller coaster based on this. I don't think they will. I don't oh, think what if yeah. has that staying power, that popularity, but man, I wish, I wish that looks oh, like yeah. so much fun. I'm, I, I'm a adrenaline junkie for drops like that. If they did that and combined it with like, the, those kinds of roller coasters they do where they have like animation and like, uh, you know, oh, yeah. you know, like I, I love that. Like a lot of times they're not, they're less thrill seeking, like what you're talking about, but the, sure. I, love, I love those. You like universal studios does a lot of like rides where you ride around in the different screens show while you're doing it, it kind of makes you feel like you're doing the thing. Even if you're not, um, back to the future, yeah, kind of like Haunted Mansion or something like that. Pirates yeah, of the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah. 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 Those kinds of things, but a little more, uh, yeah, 
They're like those things, for sure. These days, though, uh, they have one for Spider-Man at Universal Studios a few years ago that I did. The the okay. one that I remember most uh, is um, Back to the Future. But that one is actually like... Back to the Future was one that did, doesn't exist anymore, but I went to it as a kid and loved it. I went back as an adult and loved it. Um, but it is it was just a stationary car that was moving with a screen in front of you. But since then they have adapted that idea. And now you have like moving cars doing actual movements through the world, but screens in front of you and behind you and like 3d. And a lot of times they'll put smells and sounds and cold and fire and stuff in there. It just makes you feel like you're in that world. I love that. I love that kind of stuff. Really, really cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Love. uh, I, I, I'm a sucker for that. I went into, a, when I was in I was in Dallas a couple years ago, and there was a uh, a Simpsons themed like they had a restaurant that every month or two they would change the theme of it, and they would do a yeah, different pop up. Yeah, yeah, it was like a pop up shop, but it was the same restaurant. They would just do, and it was a burger joint next to a bar, and they were both owned by the same people, and so they would turn them in. So they turned it into Krusty Burger and Moe's Tavern, and oh, for sure. like. I haven't been to a theme park since a long, long time, 20 years, 20 years, maybe. Um, And so, but going there and just like sitting in a place that looked like Moe's Tavern and like sitting in a room that looked like a Krusty Burger and ordering a Duff beer, I just felt like I was, it felt, I felt like a kid. I don't know. It's it's a weird, weird emotion that comes along with that sort of immersive experience, you know? Yeah, your skin starts to turn yellow. And, yeah. Oh, that's the jaundice. That's the jaundice, yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Stark in this episode was just, I said peak Tony Stark earlier, and I mean it. Like, just the names, the quippiness, the confidence, but also the way that he gets angry and goes after someone and it seems sort of self-serving, but also altruistic. You know what I mean? Like he, mm, yeah. like when he tells uh, Gamora, he's like, "Nope, I'm going to save this world too, just to prove you wrong and to piss you off <laughs> for no other reason <laughs> but to prove you wrong and to piss you off." Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love that. I love Gotta it. love that. I love it yeah. so much. And all the nicknames he called Korg Mount Rushmore. That was really mm-hmm. nice. Um, and then later, someone calls him Goatee. I forget who. I, th- I think it was Val calls him goatee and he says, Hey, names hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When you said the goatee, it reminded me of the moment when uh, he and the grandmaster first met and the grandmaster's all up in his face. Like, uh, I-, I like this chin decoration you've got going on. There. <laughs> <laughs> so many good lines, so many good and funny yeah. stuff, but like the stuff that really resonates with me and the stuff that hits me the hardest. And it's what, what is most important about a Marvel property? And it's when the Marvel tone that what if is striving for works at its best is when you have those jokes, you have all that stuff, but you have those moments where everything turns on a dime and the characters just like really want to do the right thing. You know, they like have mm. it, it, whatever injustice has piqued them to the point. They're like, it's time to go to work, you know? And like, mm. I love that the campsite rule conversations, like, yeah, that was great. It was just a great way to, um, and I, I'm getting freaking emotional, uh, about a what <laughs> if episode, but like, it's just a great yeah. way to think about. And like, I'm sitting there watching it with my niece and everything where, and she's like the campsite rule, like she's learning what that rule is, you know, like, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. it's just, it's just an idea, like, and, and it's something I can tell her in this house when I'm teaching her about how to clean up, you know, oh, you need yeah. to leave the room better than you, like, better than you found it. Like, don't leave your stuff yeah. here. Like, it's and, just and such a what, good rule for life. 
Yeah, that's what these characters were originally created for. They were created, you know, to instill like lessons in in mm-hmm. the youth and have like characters that were noble that they could look up to. So to have yes. that coming full circle, uh, you know, it, it touches my heart as well. But you um referencing the callback to like the the campsite rule actually made me think about that whole exchange between Valkyrie and Tony. And and yeah, while I would have liked to have a little bit more from Valkyrie, I, that was a great exchange. Like we got the reference to the demon in the bottles storyline yeah. from the comics. Like that was that was really great. And then when Tony finally does take a sip of that drink and he <laughs> and immediately like passes out with his eyes open. He's just yes. like foolproof. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh really good. And it reminded me of uh, the Asgardian liquor that yes. is in uh, Iron, uh, Age, of, Age Ultron? of Ultron. Age of Ultron. Excelsior. <laughs> Excelsior. <laughs> like, it was very similar way. He, like, passes out and says, oh, yeah. oh, oh, no, I shouldn't have taken that. Um, yeah. And um, it also reminded me, we were talking a couple weeks ago as we covered Iron Man, uh, I'm sorry, Captain America 1 that Cap can't drink because of his oh, right. uh, constitution, but I bet he could drink Asgardian liquor. I bet he could. I bet he could. He's worthy. Uh, he's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> out of his uh, out of the god. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that uh, uh, Mjolnir has a little bit of a convex top that you could like. To, <laughs> oh, to, I like that. I like kind of like yeah, kind of like how people, uh, you know, drink out of like the Stanley Cup or whatever. Oh, okay. <laughs> to drink out I was, of Mjolnir. I was thinking of like the ice luge, but <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good. I like that too. <laughs> I really liked, ugh, why is it sticky when he put his suit oh, back yeah. on? <laughs> oh, man. Really good. And just the moments of humanity, again, like when he, there's so much in this episode. Like, it's so packed. When oh, yeah. it's funny, 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 and then he sees the video of the after the Battle of New York stuff, and he yeah. and he goes, oh, we won. Like, because he doesn't know. It's such a great moment. Like, they didn't have to do yeah. that. They could have had him not think about his home world and what happened. Like, but no, that's where he was. That's where his mind was. And it's just really good. Mm -hmm. Good. So good. On that note, like Tony, you know, ultimately his goal being to get back home. Um, You want to talk about the final scene just a little bit? Because like, I mean, we kind of knew Gamora's story wasn't over, but I really liked the way that that whole sequence was played. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought they subverted expectations really well, but I did find myself with like, kind of a question upon both viewings like when Gamora goes to you know press the staff to to Thanos he has this look that just like does not read as like concern or recognition at all to me like he does not seem concerned about this at all I agree but I just think that's Thanos I mean you think about his actual death really both of the ones we've seen on screen okay when he dies when he finally gets snapped in uh, in game, he just kind of sits down. That's true. He just like like I think he is a man on a mission, and when he is like finally beaten, I think there's a moment of like relief for him. I think there's okay. a little bit of like, well, I I didn't I didn't do my mission, but I'm also I kind of get to rest now. Like I didn't. I, okay. It seemed like a Thanos thing to do to just be like, I'm surprised, and he just kind of looks at his daughter. Like he just kind of slowly looks over at her. But yeah. To your point, it could also mean that he's not dying. I think I see the bit of his chin starting to melt, though. But I'm oh, not sure. okay. I'm not totally sure. I'd have that. to go back and kind of check on that. But I, I really like your read on the situation, kind of like him seeing this as his respite and kind mm-hmm. of his acceptance that we saw in Endgame. But 
Um, I think I would have liked maybe just like a, a daughter, some kind of like recognition of her. But the, the other thing I was thinking, maybe it didn't kill him because we kind of saw with the grand master, like the grand master being a, uh, was he, he's a celestial, right? We had that confirmed, right? No, he's a, the celestial. Yeah. Cause the celestials are like giants. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The celestials but, are the big robot looking guys from the eternals. Yeah. The Celestials are the guys we see their big armor as part of the racetrack in this episode, and we see them in Ragnarok. Right, right. And nowhere is the is the head of a deceased Celestial. Most of the stuff we know about the Grand Master comes from comics. It's not actually uh, stuff right. that's MCU canon, necessarily. But from what right, I understand, right. he has two brothers, and they're known as like ancient ones or something like that. Maybe maybe that's it, because I know his, his brother is supposed to be the collector, at least in the, in the comics. Yes. And yeah. if I'm not mistaken, Bill Murray in Quantumania is another brother of theirs. Oh, interesting. That I did not know. Okay, okay. And again, that's from comics, not at all sure. in the MCU, and it's sure. just stuff that I've been told from comics, because you know me, I know very little <laughs> about the actual books. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, we don't need to get too far into the weeds. I'm sure there are some people that are, you know, screaming <laughs> screaming at us right now, but the point, the reason I bring it all up is because what we saw, like the, even though he melted, it didn't kill him. So I just kind of get a chuckle of like contemplating the fact that there may be a, a bowl of soupy Thanos out there as well that has to be like, you know, <laughs> carried around by the Black Order. I, I could see like Ebony Maw, like, you know, oh, kind yeah. of relishing that responsibility. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, for sure. And it's uh, <laughs> prior to the death of that little, uh, his like, the voice of Thanos or whatever, the guy who was like... Oh, that's Ebony Maw. Oh, that's Ebony Maw? Yeah. I thought Ebony Maw was the other one. Okay, never mind. Okay, cool. Your joke was the <laughs> same joke of, I was uh, trying to make. Black Dwarf, maybe? I think I was thinking of I think I was thinking of the guy who's like the wizard. In uh, Ebony Ma. Oh, the same. Well, that's not who I'm thinking of. He, the he's the like guy the who gets killed, and also like the the magical one. But the guy who gets killed in Guardians is the one I was thinking of. His little servant who's in Avengers going like gotcha. to court I forgot all about that guy. I know yeah, to yeah, attack I gotcha. Earth, yeah. to court death. I could totally see that guy like walking around still talking about him cuz at this juncture he wouldn't be dead as far as I understand. He, sure, sure. He dies okay, in Guardians. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I forgot all about that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't remember. He has he has a name in the movie, but it's it's like something like Yeah, I, I can't remember. Uh yeah. Okay. Just just covered that like last week and I cannot remember the It name. might be the mouth of Thanos because he kind of reminds me of the mouth of Sauron from the Lord of the Rings, so they might have been <laughs> maybe a reference. reference it totally, to him. totally does yeah. look look like uh, Sauron adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else in your notes? Well, I got a few that are just things I thought was funny. I really liked the Tony Former, uh, trans- the Transformer version of Tony. Oh, yeah. Uh, him becoming a car, more than meets the eye. I really liked it. <laughs> I just thought that was awesome. That sequence had some great instrumentation that I really took note of. It had mm. an electric guitar that kind of came through. And um, I think the music throughout What If has been serviceable in the fact that I haven't really noticed it. But this was one of the few times that like it really like stood out and kind of highlighted things for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That really beautiful, uh, exciting music. It got me pumped. Like the whole thing, the yeah. whole sequence was done really, really well. And I, like with tons of imagination, some of it borrowed imagination from like sure. other properties and other things we've done here. But like, yeah. man, it just is, it's just fun. That's what it's all about. Like combining these disparate things throughout the universe and putting them together. I, I really love it. Um, uh, I really liked. Yeah, this is in the background, this line, but I really liked it. He's like, 
All right, everyone, we need to find... Uh, Metal Mojo Man. <laughs> we need to find Metal Mojo Man. Put down your dinner, uh, th- those of you who get to eat today. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah. I really liked uh, when he says, I've got to get back to Pepper. He's like, I'm mm. more of a salt man myself. Bad for you, sure, but there isn't love always dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I really liked... Uh, the narcissism of the grandmaster that uh, everything's him including the alarm sound is just him yes. saying alarm 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 <laughs> alarm <laughs> <laughs> really good oh man yeah yeah, yeah. so um just a great cork did cork had a, a a number of great funny moments but the mm-hmm. only one that kind of like stuck with me is when he had the little pet chinchilla and he's like i'm going to name it nico after my friend jeffrey <laughs> yes that was that one got me too um yeah a lot of the korg lines i hate to say felt a little stale to me because i think like we've seen a lot of korg i'm glad you said it oh yeah i felt bad about feeling like i'm getting kind of korged out and like i've been on record saying like i think taika watiti is kind of you know waning a little bit but uh yeah i think his humor is wonderful but it's a little samey um, mm-hmm. And it gets a little tired after a while, and it's it, to me it doesn't fit the Marvel vibe as well as I want it to. Where I I, I get this feeling like it's too silly. Um, we've talked about it before a little bit on the MCU cast. We're like, w- which this is, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, <laughs> sorry, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to be on like multiverse news with you going over on the MCU cast. We talked about this, um, yeah. but um, we've talked about it before how like there's a certain level of absurdity that is forgivable, but like it's, there's a few things in the MCU that are borderline. One of them being one of the moment I always point to that is like, it's borderline doesn't work is the Galaga moment from Avengers. When he's like, when he says, and I think it's a reshoot, which is what makes it like, it doesn't fit the scene. He says, that guy over that man over there is playing Galaga. Hope we wouldn't notice, but we did. Right. I think that was an improvised moment mm-hmm. or, or like someone told him to say it or something like that. And then they later went in and at the end of that scene, there's actually a man over there switching his screen over to Galaga. Right. And like, that is the point where it seems like it's a little too ridiculous. Like it's mm. funny if Tony is teasing that this feels like a command center where people would be playing Galaga. Like that's kind of the joke. And mm. then it goes a little too far if someone's actually playing Galaga on the ship. Like, it feels a little like S.H.I.E.L.D. agent is playing, I don't know. There's just, there's these certain absurdities that, like, feel on the edge of too far. You might really be on the money with that. Like, I haven't really thought about it or tried to pinpoint where Marvel kind of had this divergence with, like, the the tone and the humor um, and I, it doesn't really bother me. I've heard a lot of detractors kind of say like, it's, you know, it's gotten to the point where every other line is a joke and we can't have any moments that have emotional weight because of the jokes. But, um, that's never really been a problem for me, but I, I think you can kind of look at the 2012 Avengers. And while that the success of that film was obviously had such an impact on the, on the future of the MCU, I, th- I think about Thor, the dark world and, and some of the movies that immediately came after that, even like 
um, the Winter Soldier, like as serious as that one, it had like that sequence in the mall with the guy that's like calling Cap like a specimen yeah. and, and, and stuff like that. And then like in um, the Dark World, I always think about the the line when Jane Foster's on the date with the guy and he and she's like, sea bass, sea bass, sea bass, sea bass, sea bass, sea bass, sea bass. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously Guardians kind of like did its, its own thing. And then I think all of the movies were trying to kind of like evoke that Guardians feel too. But Yes, yeah. absolutely. For me, the line is always... Whether you can get back to an emotional moment and have that payoff, the, the the line is always, would this character actually say this in this moment? Right. And it's like, if the if it's too... Like, Tony Stark it has that bravado and silliness that he would absolutely yeah. claim a guy is playing Galaga, but a guy actually playing Galaga feels like you should fire that guy. You know what right. I mean? Like, that's not... No, like that doesn't work. We've we had like that conversation a lot on this on the show about various topics where like I don't know the the hero says one thing, but actually doing it is like a is a, is a, is a step too far, or like they shouldn't actually mm. like, like. There's certain actions that just feel like they're just too far to the either silly or too brutal or too um, irresponsible or whatever. There's just mm. like sometimes there's this little line where it's like. Okay, now you're just over the line, you, and it's a suspension of disbelief thing. And everybody has a different line, but I feel like Taika Waititi's movies are the most over the line, mm. and I still enjoy them. Yeah. But it kind of breaks the verse because you lose your suspension. You know what I mean? Like I no longer care too much that Surtur is destroying Asgard because it's funny that Hulk is jumping at him. So it loses mm. the like I lose the, I lose my suspension of disbelief that allows me to really care about these characters, and it becomes a comedy more than it is an adventure, more than it is a uh, a story that you're supposed to be bought into. And I think that yeah. that's just Taika Waititi's style, um, and it really makes me interested in what the uncut version of Love and Thunder looks like because yeah. <laughs> I don't. Even Jojo Rabbit, which is like a really dark movie in some ways, still right. rides this tone of like silliness throughout it. Yeah. And so if he really went all in and made like, we have said it many times and Ashley's very upset that they cut a lot of that stuff, you know, in, in, in Love and Thunder. Right. It seems that they cut a lot of, a lot of uh, the murder and the killing, but I'm yeah. wondering if like, what that even would look like with Taika Waititi doing it, because Taika doesn't ever have the, he does not have, in general, has not had the restraint to restrain his comedy bone to allow yeah. the serious moments to like, like linger. And yeah. so I'm wondering if some of those scenes were cut, not because they wanted it to be lighter, but because they were just too bizarre, you know, like, like if, and, and yeah. the one, the couple that we got were pretty bizarre when he's like talking to that, uh, the, the group of children, when, um, Gore is talking I, to the group of children. Well, that's one of my favorite moments from Gore in the whole movie. Yeah. Yeah. Mine too. It's dark. Yeah. Mine too. It's dark. It's weirdly funny though. He, yeah. It's dark, but it's still him being silly. Yeah. With these children, and it makes it even darker. It has serious Willy Wonka vibes. Ooh, good comparison, like, yeah. And I, like, I don't know, now that I, I've never thought about it this way, but now that I'm thinking about why they cut those scenes, I've never thought about what if those scenes were just too bizarre. Like, yeah. maybe they were just a little, like, not only were they dark and gory, 
but they were dark and gory, but also like on the line between suspension of disbelief in a way that makes you feel like gross. Like, uh, okay. I don't know. That's just speculation. I really have no idea. We will never, I don't know if we'll ever see those scenes, but I really, I just don't know. I've never seen Taika have the restraint to keep his comedy out of the, out of the serious scenes long enough to really feel. I mean, there are some moments in love and thunder that I do feel, but yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting how this uh, conversation has kind of turned into like a uh, discourse about Taika Watiti, but uh, <laughs> you know, I, I will say I, I hear your, 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 you know, your, um, your issues with Ragnarok. I don't really feel that as much in that one. I think like, that just kind of came out at the perfect time where the character of Thor really benefited from that comedy and kind of like, you know, not taking himself so seriously. But yeah, after that, like, I, I think you're being kinder to Thor love and thunder than I would be. It, it was really disappointing for me. And like, I mm. like Christian Bale is like one of the, the saving graces of that movie. And I would have loved to see more, but uh, I hadn't really thought about that. Like, yeah, we've, we've heard about how they're really, wasn't any kind of like oversight when they went into like shooting. Like he was basically given like uh, an open budget and can just kind of do whatever he wanted to. Um, so yeah, to think about maybe some of those, those possible scenes that were left on the cutting room floors is, is really interesting. And um, yeah. like, yeah, I, when you started describing that, like I thought of like a montage of gore killing, but set to the, the tune of some kind of like pop song, like imagine mm. me and you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a believer. Okay, there you go. Because ah, of the God connection. Perfect. You know? <laughs> perfect. <laughs> it's like real. The monkeys. I'm a believer. Yeah, <laughs> it's that's like great. That's going great. through like murdering whatever. I don't know. Yeah, it, it could. It could definitely be dark and weird. And uh, I, I would love to see it. I would absolutely love to see it. Sure. But I also understand if you go too weird and bizarre, you lose a portion of the audience, as we've seen with a number of things. And like. Yeah. As much as I'd love to see it, and I probably enjoy it on it for what it is, I don't know. There's a certain level of control that Marvel has to maintain over the brand and what they are and what the world feels like. It's always a judgment call as to what they should do. But I, yeah, I see why that could have gotten too weird for them. I mean, Willy Wonka's a weird movie. It's really a shame, though, because everything you're saying is exactly like what I want to see. I want Marvel to be yeah. brave again. I want Marvel to take those chances. I want them to like kind of break up the stagnation and realize mm-hmm. that not every movie has to be for every person. Like you can have yes. like these movies with smaller budgets that really embrace like a tone and style, and then like just let those be quietly successful. You know, mm-hmm. that's the key. I think that, yeah. that exactly what you just said is the key. They have to start making movies with smaller budgets when yeah. every solo outing is costing them 300 million to make you're not always going to make your money back and it's gonna you're gonna start to oh get this narrative that marvel's failing but if they had made the marvels for 100 million and then Mm. it made what you know like whatever like they just keep the budgets not small but reasonable for for the movie and then save those huge budgets for the avengers movies you know exactly um and i i think that that's the direction they should go and they should let I agree. I want I want it to be bold again too. I think in the early Marvel stuff, they were bold. They did cool, interesting things, but then they found a tone that worked and stuck with it for like seven years and it worked. Yeah. Like that tone worked for seven years. It was great. But now it's time to experiment again, which I think they've been doing, but they've been experimenting with the kind of money that they did with Endgame and Infinity War. And it's like time Mm, to they need to like scale if they're gonna it's like when you uh I don't know. I don't know the analogy here, but like you're gambling and you make a, you, you find your safe bet and you gamble on it. 
then the safe bet stops working. You got to start gambling again, but you got like, like you got to, you got to play the smaller bets and find what works. You got to, you got right. to find the exploit as it were. Mm. Um, and I don't think they've found that, that to- new tone that's working for them yet. Um, right. and it might even be the same tone, but they got to get some new life infused into it. Some new, uh, interesting characters that work. And that only comes through like raw creativity and like, right. Yeah. Connection with the audience. So mm. anyway, mm. We've gone way longer. Uh, to, great episode of What If. Freaking yeah. great episode of What If. Lots of fun chatting with you about all this stuff. Uh, For sure. Scoots. Um, tell the people where they can find you online. Yeah, check out Animation Deliberation. It's the podcast that takes action, animation, and cartoons seriously, but not too seriously. So if you are a fan of animated movies, shows, cartoons, uh, check us out over there. Sweet. And also, uh, if you like this dynamic here, as I mentioned yesterday, uh, Multiverse News is the show that me and Jay Scotty and Haley Hobbs and Jay Sisson do uh, here on the network. So check out that show uh, when you get a chance. Um, in Multiverse News, every podcast, we just talk about the news. Actually, very similar to what we were just doing. Like talk about yeah. what Marvel should do in the background, not sure. just on screen. Um, so uh, check that out if you like this sort of thing. Uh, we will be back very soon. Uh, peace. Until next time, true believers. Hey, you just listened to the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast from Stranded Panda. I really hope you liked it. Let me just say a big thank you to all of our supporters on patreon.com slash mcucast. You are the lifeblood of our little operation here. And a huge, huge thank you to our insanely generous Illuminati tier patrons, Walter Kreisky III, Lieutenant Bongo, and Jazz Viz. You guys are amazing. If you'd like to see our beautiful faces, you can catch a video version of many of our episodes at youtube.com slash strandedpanda. Love you 3000, my friends. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.